everyone. Uh, welcome. I have had a busy day and busy week, so I'll be sort of filling in and ad-libbing a bit more this time than usual, which works out for you because it means that I'll actually be paying attention to the chat more uh, than I do usually. I mean, I try to, but it moves a lot and I get distracted with whatever it is that I'm actually uh, saying, and that results in, well, you know what it results in. Um, so anyway, let's go ahead and, and start out, I think. One thing that I wanted to draw attention to this time is what's going on in our school system, okay? And I know that I've talked about the schools a lot, but I think that people struggle to kind of imagine how bad it is. Like, we remember what it was like when we were in school, but it gets worse, you know? Like, every five years or so, it gets massively worse. Um, and so we kind of struggle to keep up with it. And the students at John F. Kennedy Middle School in Enfield received recently a pizza and consent assignment document. And yeah, that's what it sounds like. And for those of you who remember um, the the Pizzagate controversy, right? Which was talking about pedophilia and all these different pedophiles seem to be using pizza as like a, a buzzword when they meant other things with sexual connotations. Okay, um, so it, it's really interesting that this particular document was passed around. It was about sex. Um, to these middle schoolers. We're talking about kids like 13 and 14 years old. So I'm going to go ahead and show you what they were actually given. So here it is. Pizza and consent. What's pizza got to do with it? Well, we can use pizza as a metaphor for sex. This is literally what it says. And remember, this is for 13 and 14 year old um, students. And it, it goes on to describe the process of which, you know, some people might be vegan. Some uh, would want gluten-free, and others might want pineapple, and so on. And you might have your own sexual preferences, is the point that they're making. And it goes on past this document to another document. It gets worse. Now you're supposed to make your own personal pizza made out of your sexual preferences as a 13 or 14-year-old. Um, yes, really. And then you're supposed to put at the bottom your sexual likes and dislikes. Um, and this is in the public school system. So the thing is, when people say that they think that they can sort of compensate at home uh, for what their kids are learning in school, it's like, do you realize what's actually being taught in school? And by the way, before somebody kind of calls me out on this, yes, the school did say that this was a mistake. They just, they sent out the assignment by mistake. Now, tell me, who makes this as a mistake? Like, let me just shrink this down because it's in my way. Um, like, who, who, who came up with it? Like, they said they, they sent the wrong document. Okay, so for whom is this document made? Like, seriously, like, who made that? I don't think that I could possibly come across with the idea, you know, I'll just go ahead and start making a document about how pizzas ought to be compared to sexual preferences and people ought to make this pizza and lay out their sex preferences on this piece of paper. It's written as if it's written for, you know, young people. And it was presented to young people. I'm sorry, I'm not buying the fact that they just sent out their own document as a mistake and they just happened to have that particular document just laying around but totally not in use. Because that's what we're supposed to believe. And that assignment was actually on the Enfield School District's website, according to Fox News, and now it has been deleted, of course, because parents actually saw it. And that's the real thing, isn't it? Whenever parents see something like this, then there's outrage and then this, whatever it is gets removed. 
But do you remember during the early days of COVID, right? And you had all these different kids who were suddenly being taught uh, remotely. And it was during that period of time when we started to hear about all these different teachers who were talking online about how, well, how do we have these discussions that we can't have when parents are listening? It's like, well, you shouldn't be having discussions in school that would not be okay for a parent to listen to because that means it shouldn't be okay for the kid to listen to either. And in fact, it, it's grooming. The whole idea of saying, don't tell your parents about this topic, which by the way was happening, um, that's grooming. Um, uh, JP says Pizzagate. Exactly. And we're, we're told that the whole Pizzagate controversy was fake. Like, well, to what degree? Because in fact, at this point in time, we've had multiple pedophiles who've been arrested with various types of, you know, the word pizza literally in their usernames on Twitter and stuff like that. And we've had these different references to like pedophilia with pizza. I mean, and we certainly know that there are elitists who are pedophiles. There are pedophile networks and so on. Uh, Martin says schools don't remove this crap, they just hide it from the parents. And that's exactly my point. I don't think that somehow someone just had this document laying around, you know, but not, not intending to use it, and instead they just sent it out by mistake. No, they sent it out publicly by mistake. That doesn't mean they didn't intend to use it. It means it was, you know, probably intended for private classroom use, as opposed to being sent home for the kids to work on there, because, you know, they don't talk about sex issues or race issues or, you know, critical race theory and that kind of thing in front of parents because they know that the parents will be outraged and the parents will actually do something about it and maybe even pull their kids out of school and actually homeschool. Uh, that kind of thing happens. But this, oh, I, I just did this by mistake. We, we sent out the wrong document. Like, seriously, you want people to start comparing their um, sexual preferences w with pineapple and, and crap and, and do that by accident. Uh, now this is what this is what the the actual schools are like now, and people bought this this lie. Like the uh, superintendent uh, of the school district, uh, a guy named Christopher Dresick, said it was just a simple mistake. He sent out the wrong document, and so that was published on like the Daily Mail and the and the few publications that actually ran with this story. And nobody questioned. Well, then what is it for? Who is it for? Pray tell. What age group did you send out the? the sexual preferences pizza document too and and in what world was that even remotely appropriate um christian says they want to brainwash your children before you even think of talking to them yourself well the thing is that uh, you know i've thought about this and the trouble is that even when you do talk to your kids yourself about moral issues and religious issues and hacking to some degree sex issues, um, you're sending them to a public school eight hours a day, and then you have access to them to give them their moral instruction for, you know, probably a couple of hours and the rest of it they're, they're spending and you're spending uh, with your other tasks that you actually have to do. So, I mean, on what basis do we think that it's, that we can compensate for that, for eight hours of immoral instruction a day. I, I don't think that we can. I don't think enough people think about it like that. That you're sort of surrendering your child for eight hours. And the thing is, that in the educational system, just try to think back to what it was what it was really like. And I know it's probably been a while for most of us. Um, but when you're in that environment, there is this sort of sense that your teacher knows more than your parent did. And they actually, or, or does, and they work to cultivate this sense that we are the teachers, we 
have the education, don't tell your parents about this, which is, you know, what I discovered a minute ago, uh, and that kind of thing. And it all just kind of culminates in this idea that, oh, well, your teacher knows a lot more than your parents do, and therefore has the ability to sort of replace your parent for all the important stuff. Your kid learns and is taught that they shouldn't rely upon the parents for the important issues because it's just a parent. What do they really know? They just work in a regular job. They're not teachers. That kind of thing. Um, teachers have always acted inappropriately, but now it's actually part of the curriculum. Yes. Quite literally, they have documents that we just saw that are part of the curriculum. And, and of course, then there's the race issue as well. And that was another issue that in the start of the COVID era, where a lot of people started to get irate because, you know, you had these different documents going out where kids were basically told that if they were white, they came from a a negative uh, historical place and they should feel some degree of guilt and they should try to work to sort of remediate that and fix it in, in one way or another. Um, they say they okay. Kids want to follow their peers as well, self-organized small community schools that you know the parents and the teachers. Yeah, and I, I do know about these these things that they have where basically they're creating little people, homeschoolers, are creating little co-ops where they just kind of interchange the, the different so-called teacher every once in a while, and it's just a really small group of parents who are working together. And the legal basis for that varies in different states depending on you know who reports it in, because otherwise you'll end up having it labeled as a private school, and then there's tons of different regulations and all of that. But it is being done amongst different parents, and I, I do think it's actually a big step in the right direction. Um, Penna Pete said, the same nuts here in the UK schools, also in the universities. Uh, yeah, but everyone knows that, that in the universities we get kind of far leftist teaching. What people are, are less familiar with, I think, is the fact that it starts so early. Um, and that's, that's a problem, because they think that you can kind of send your kid to school early on and everything's going to be okay until you reach the college system and the university system and that's why you're going to have to really deal with the indoctrination and sure it steps up but it's it really is throughout you know k through 12 as they call it here but you know throughout your i don't know what the, what the brits call it but throughout your educational uh, process it, it's all the way up it really is they just kind of tear it for, for whatever age group it is Um, I don't know the channels that you're recommending that I do collaborations with, I, so I can't comment. I just, I quite simply do not know. Well, let's talk about the uh, Joe Rogan apology that took place this week, okay? Oh, JP, I call it the Frankfurt school system. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually really accurate. Uh, and they really have uh, changed our, our educational system to try and change it based upon, like, cultural Marxism, because they can't separate us in the United States at least, on the basis of uh, finances like they could elsewhere, because you didn't have until COVID, which really like, really, really, really made it worse, but you, you don't have such separation based upon uh, finances in this country like you, you did in other countries where uh, communism has really took over. See, what you had here was a surprising degree of wealth mobility, and certainly in the public perception there was a lot of wealth mobility. That is the sense that if I work hard, if I make good choices um, in, in this capitalistic system, I have a chance at getting to be one of the top tiers of society and doing well and so on. And that sense of sort of freedom and fairness 
in society prevents us from being so divided on the basis of economics. And so instead, you know, from the Frankfurt School with the cultural Marxism, they separated people based upon other values as well. Um, or I should say instead. And they're still breaking down our society on the basis of that. Um, okay, yeah, anyway, Joe Rogan. So yes, um, Joe Rogan, after he, he had on uh, Robert Malone, the doctor, and they talked, of course, and then the, the leftist mob went after him and has been seeking to get him to apologize and have succeeded. So basically, uh, throughout the years of Joe Rogan's podcast, he's used the racial epithet for black people 20 plus times. And not because he's he's looking at a, a picture of a black person and calling them that, but rather, you know, because different stories came up over time in which he was quoting different people, um, describing situations where it actually happened, and so on. And so some of these leftists who have been trying to destroy him after the Robert Malone interview made a compilation video of all the times in which he used that word that we are not allowed to say in our society. Um, so they're basically digging through and looking for anything he's ever done that they can use to destroy him. And then he bent the knee and said he was really very, very sorry, and he didn't mean it, and he was a bad person then, and he, you know, uh, and, he, and he groveled on a, an Instagram video. And <laughs> as a result of that, and the fact that he, um, gosh, uh, the fact that he apologized, the fact that he knelt, it means that the, the attacks will continue and, and actually step up. Because it, when you apologize to these people, they're not seeking your apology, they're seeking your destruction. And when you apologize, you're basically agreeing with them that yes, you did something wrong. Did Joe Rogan do something wrong by using that word? I mean, I'm not using it because I'm, I'm broadcasting to certain platforms. It would probably remove me if I did. Um, not that I have any desire to, to lob it at somebody who happens to be black. Um, but because it's part of the English language and I'm reporting on that story, and yet here we are. It's ridiculous. I don't think that Joe Rogan did anything wrong by using that word in the context that he used it. Uh, you know, it's just it's a basic thing. When he's quoting people, describing instances in which it happened. No, like it's 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 honestly ridiculous. I I don't see why people are so worked up about it. Like for example, like I think it was Dennis. Yeah, it was Dennis Prager a few years ago who did a video which upset a lot of people when he, when he was basically saying um, why can people in media say the word kike but you can't say the word that's in reference to black people. Um, like he didn't want Jews as a Jew to be labeled as a kike but. You know, he understood that you could you could quote the word and you can use certain context context as where it led to violence or whatever. You can report. I think it's a real problem where we're reaching a point where you can't use certain words even in the context of reporting because then you'll get silenced or, or what have you. I, I do actually think that's a real problem. <clears throat> and yeah, of course, it's it's something that's used continually. Uh, and things like rap music and so on. Um, but my focus is not, you know, is it used in rap music, but rather should we be able to use certain words in the area of public, uh, of political commentary or of any commentary uh, when you're quoting someone? Or do we really want to silence that? I don't think we should. Um, because Joe Rogan bent the knee, by the way, Spotify has deleted... Well, they've deleted a total of 113 episodes, apparently, um, in the context of censoring the different ideas that he didn't like. Now, 70 of those are recent. So 70 of those are around the time that he apologized. 
And they're like, well, see, even Joe Rogan admits that he was wrong, so therefore we're going to remove these and, you know, we'll, we'll satiate the mob. 40 of them are from the last time that people got upset, around the time that Alex Jones went on and all of that, and it was, I think, shortly after uh, Joe Rogan signed with Spotify to give them ownership of his product, if I'm going to call his podcast a product. Uh, in any case, he, you know, he signed with them a while back, got a massive amount of, of money, and that's the case. But, and then you look at his his groveling apology. I don't know if you guys actually watched the video. I'm not going to play it here. But he said, and he was describing his past stories that he told that had racial connotations and the stuff that he'd said in the past. And he goes, you can have clunky stories, but not about race. And you can say stupid things, but not about race. It's like, why? I mean, his whole point was, when you're on the air for hours at a time, you sometimes say stupid things, you sometimes say clunky things. Like, okay, so people are human and they're flawed, and they say, you know, so? Why does that change when we're talking about race? I actually don't see that. It just seems more like him groveling. Um, and groveling to people who... I'm just gonna be, gonna be, you know, straight here with you, who aren't moral. These people don't have a moral compass. That's not why they're outraged, because they have such decency and virtue. They want to silence him because he had on Robert Malone, a doctor who had uh, far more medical experience than these people do, and was saying things that they didn't want to hear. And therefore, they're digging up dirt from the past to try and destroy the guy, because he's actually doing a more... I guess you could say scientific job by exposing these people to different ideas on different sides. That's what's really going on. And Rogan ought to have known that. I'm sure he did know that. And and just said no. No, I you know, I, I won't apologize to you people. I know what your intentions are. Um, you're indecent. I don't care. Like seriously, that that's the, the route that I think he should have gone. Uh, you can say the word cracker. Yeah, you can say... <laughs> yeah, I, I know it. Um, Chris, if we all agreed on everything, we wouldn't need the First Amendment. Well, yeah, but there's a lot of people who are trying to d get rid of that too, especially those on the left. That's kind of one of the things that they wanted to sort of destroy about the United States is the fact that you do have the ability to speak freely. And, you know, when you ask on college campuses and they'll, they'll constantly go, well, you have free speech, but you shouldn't, you know, but not for hate speech. And that's one of the very same things that you'd hear heard on the streets of England by, frankly, most people, probably. And that's a really dangerous place to go because there is no free speech. None whatsoever. If you don't have the ability to offend some people, um, that's, that's the whole point of it. We don't have um, rights stated in the Bill of Rights, so that people can say things that everyone wants to hear. That doesn't even make any sense. Uh, Perry Scott, there are plenty of videos of Biden saying the same word, selective outrage to accomplish their agenda. Well, yeah. And frankly, if you had somebody more on the right than Rogan, because Rogan is certainly not on the right, uh, which I'll get to in a second, you certainly would have had that person cancelled by now. Um, even if you had someone like kind of more part of conservative ink, which I'm not particularly a fan of, um, saying that that person would have been cancelled without a doubt. But Rogan is someone who's on the left. He's someone who 
doesn't exactly promote Christian decent values. Like in general, I'm not a fan of the Rogan uh, show, the Rogan podcast. I've watched a, a couple. I was a fan of the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, show, but other than that, for the most part, uh, I don't listen to him because I just don't think that he's a fairly decent person. Uh, just being honest here, I, I don't uh, feel akin with his sense of values, and at that point, I just don't try to indulge myself in listening to him. That said, I don't see a problem with him existing and promoting whatever it is, you know, whatever he believes to be true. So that's the way that I stand. And actually, that's a fairly liberal position in the old sense of the word, but, uh, you know. Um, Shane Lewandowski says, Hi, Sarah. In the past, Joe has been critical of those who want medical freedom. I have quotes from his old podcast that shock. Not trying to cancel, but I don't trust his show. He should have free speech. Right. And I don't trust his show to be uh, decent either, uh, especially in the area of Christian values, um, which when he gets on that topic, it's just kind of um, nauseating at times, um, including one video he did with like Ben Shapiro and stuff. But anyway, I digress. Uh, and yeah, a lot of the people in the past, even before this COVID stuff, were opposed to uh, a lot of medical medical freedom, especially in relation to mandatory vaccination uh, programs and that kind of thing. This is one area, not to mention him again, but in which Ben Shapiro has been on the wrong side for a very long time. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's, that's true about Hillary, so I'm not going to say it on the air. Uh, free speech for me and not for thee. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, I think that when it comes to speech, I think it's something we should pay a lot of attention to because it's it's foundational to our ability to go forward. And that's the thing. It's like um, we, if we lose that, the ability to speak freely, then you end up having to defer to, to other methods. And so I'll keep talking about these issues as much as I possibly can, frankly. All right, uh, I want to show you a video. Uh, let me get a drink, and then we're going to go over the video. And this is with a woman named Carol Adams, and she is so endearing in all the wrong ways. So, she describes herself as a feminist and animal rights activist. She is the author of a book that nobody's ever heard of called The Sexual Politics of Meat, A Feminist Vegetarian Critical Theory. Yes, that's a book. Again, that was called, because I know you want to like look it up and buy it. I know that you're just like going to Amazon right now. It's called The Sexual Politics of Meat, A Feminist Vegetarian Critical Theory. She had a debate at the Ox at Oxford Union, an Oxford Union debate rather, and um, she shows, like a, she's like an example of how far left you can go and how just ridiculous it looks when you go that way. I'm going to click around at different points in her speech because I'm um, millennial and impatient and it's uh, too long for me not to. So um, that's what I'm going to do and we're going to have some fun with this in theory because, you know, um, we'll see. Uh, let me go ahead and pull this up. Here we go. I've read the motion, and I believe we should move beyond all meat. So what we choose to eat has consequences far beyond the circumference of our plates. Specifically, your vote tonight 
expresses your allegiance to or rejection of a white supremacist patriarchal worldview. I love this woman. Do we vote to further inequality and sustain world-destroying violence? In the sexual politics of meat, I introduced the concept of animals as absent reference. In order to be eaten, animals must disappear as living beings. That is because... Okay, she's actually serious, by the way. She's just she's serious in all of this. Like when she when she mentions the sexual politics of meat and a white supremacist patriarchal worldview, which you just heard, she's actually serious. This looks like some kind of like you know, one of those memes or whatever when somebody goes on YouTube and they create some kind of parody version of what like the ultimate leftist would look like. But this woman is actually serious. She's for real. Alright, I'm gonna skip forward just a little bit here because again, millennial and impatient. Be lamb's leg. The animals cannot possess their own body parts. Tonight, think about how the language of our debate has or has not participated in the structure of the absent referent. Who disappears and why? 21st century animal eating requires our complicity in a new colonialism. Yes. So if you, you know, eat steak, you're complicit in a new colonialism because the cow is basically your slave and you're the slave master and I'm, I'm not really sure that i'm drawing the right parallel but that's that's the one that she's drawing and so it's difficult to sort of bring her back to reason i'm doing the best that i can i'm sure you are too we know how settler colonialism worked and a race and replace system that forced indigenous people off the land replacing them with cattle and white settlers I recognize today as Indigenous Peoples Day. One of the <laughs> of defining aspects of the colonial legacy is an ongoing white supremacist belief system and an ownership paradigm. Again, as a reminder, because I know that you're, you may have forgotten, she's, she's, this is her advocating for veganism. And while she sounds entirely insane, this is actually pretty real leftist dogma you can actually come across all of these opinions usually separate from one another um throughout leftist writings and that's what's what's funny about it is that you've got one person who basically went ahead and read all this crap and put it together in one 10 minute speech and and then you see it all together and you're like wow she's crazy and it would be easy to jump to that conclusion but it's like well but if she's crazy then so so too must be the people who promote this ideology elsewhere. And there are a lot of people who believe quite literally all of these things. You know, she's, she's not alone. Like there's that thing with that uh, psychologists do where they're like, well, you know, if, if it's just you that believes this really far out thing, then it's, then you're crazy. But if there are enough people who believe it, then at some point it just becomes ideological. And that's the thing that we're kind of looking at here. It's like, yeah, they're crazy. Yeah. That's what you were thinking, I know. Okay, let's skip way forwards because, you know, you know why. Fortunately, by countries in the global south, their carbon footprint is smaller, but they experience more frequent and intense climate change caused weather events. These events especially affect girls and young women. You're sorry, sorry, let's just stop that right there. How exactly does a whether event that's caused by eating animals, yeah, I'm not sure either, affects mostly women and girls. I mean, 
Like, you know, it's like, well, we had the apocalypse, but women and black people were affected more. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It's like, wait, what? Um, that's what she just said. That literally climate change effect, you know, uh, the climate change related weather events, which come from eating cows somehow, affect women and girls more. This is, this is what the, like, the modern left literally believes. Like, no matter what happens, the, 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 the vulnerable populations by leftist dogma are affected most. Your hamburger comes with a dose of misogyny. <laughs> the Western world colonized their space without sending a single beef eater. Through colonial power, the diet of beef-loving English people became normative. The food heritage of pre-conquest peoples, like the land itself, was overrun. It was the colonizers, especially the British, who declared that the virility of meat-eating nations explained their success over the supposed feminine and weak rice. Okay, just pausing again for a minute here, because she's attacking the British now and our colonialism. And so this seems like the appropriate point for me to annoy everybody and say that there were some benefits to British colonialism, because, you know, I know it's politically incorrect at this point in time, but that is also how we spread civilization throughout the world. And so I, whenever, you know, you've got this kind of thing that comes up, and it, certainly if you're studying in a university context and all of that, this is something that you just can't say. But it really is true that, yes, there were some points of uh, British colonialism that went too far and that were really over the top. There were also points where we went into areas that were entirely uncivilized and outright savaged. Sorry, outright savage. Um, and brought them civilization and law and order and academia and so on. So um, she's certainly not the only person that makes that, that point. In fact, the, the idea that British colonialism was all negative is, is probably the dominant leftist thought. That that's, that's literally just what they believe. And so I thought I'd take the opportunity to go ahead and mention that and not simply because I'm English, um, but because I'm also right. So there is that. Um, okay, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, yeah, let's try this bot. It's always under threat, and eating animals is its protection racket. Question? That's why after 9-11, <laughs> <nope>. <laughs> that's why after 9-11, a focus on men as heroes and on meat-eating became part of the reclamation of a wounded masculinity. When a black man was elected as U.S. president, we saw how white this wounded masculinity was. I mean, I'm not sure how any of this pertains to, to cows and chickens and other, you know, meats. But in any case, it does to this woman. I think we should probably um, call it quits at that before we get infected with whatever has infected her. Uh, but in any case, like, th that's the trouble. It's like, if she was just one woman who, who happened to be kind of... Um, insane uh, and speaking publicly then i wouldn't have brought this to your attention uh because then it's just one crazy person and that's just kind of wrong but the fact is that these different belief systems that she's spouting as if there's truth in them um are tenets of different modern leftist thought it's just absolutely bizarre okay we'll just get one more you know one more time and then uh then we'll quit so hold on i have to move your chat though because it's in my way there we go And yet the reasons we hear are so irrational. If I did not eat animals, they never would be born. 
Meat eaters like anti-abortionists have forgotten that one quality of non-existence is not having awareness about existence. Meat eaters say, why, if we put prisoners to work in slaughterhouses in England, they will be learning a skill. I did not know that killing was a skill generalizable to other jobs. Yeah, okay. I guess we'll just we'll just stop there because there's a point of insanity at which I can't respond because you can't reason with the unreasonable. And so it just kind of gets a little bit circular at a certain point and I'm just going to like, okay, we're going to step away. But yes, if you want to look into the future and see what the future is, we just found it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's terrible, but it's also true. So it's not my fault. Okay. Oh, um, one thing we should talk about, actually, is uh, GoFundMe and the truckers, alright? So, GoFundMe announced, uh, with without any shame, they will be distributing the funds that are supposed to go to the truckers to established charities that are chosen by the event organizers, but are verified by GoFundMe. So, in other words, um, they have to choose charities that GoFundMe approves of, and then the money goes there, which is not to the truckers. Uh, that's, that's the current plan, which amounts to theft, because the people who donated to that cause were donating specifically for a specific purpose, right? They were donating to support the truckers over in Canada. And the thing is, if I go to a website and I, and I buy a product, and I don't get the product, or the product isn't as described, I can get a chargeback for that, and the, the company selling it can get punished by the credit card system. That's how it works, because that's because otherwise it's theft. I, the company doesn't get to just say, well, hey, you know, Sarah gave me some money, so we're just going to use it for this other thing, and we figure she's okay with it. Now, if you did donate via GoFundMe, apparently uh, donors have until February 19th to request a refund through GoFundMe, Past that, you can probably, uh, you can certainly try if you wish to do a chargeback, and that would punish the company. It all depends on your bank and what your bank actually is willing to do and how leftist your bank is. If you're with Chase, then I imagine you're not going to get anywhere with the uh, uh, with anything other than a refund through GoFundMe. I'm just kind of telling you how it's going to be and not how I wish that it were. Um, and that decision by GoFundMe uh, came one day after the House of Commons Public Safety and National Security Committee called on GoFundMe to detail, this is the important part, how GoFundMe would ensure that donations to those truckers weren't being used to promote hate. Um, okay, so let's just slow down there. Their donations to truckers who are protesting against these mandates of various types, right? So what does that have to do with the promotion of hate? And by the way, there's something really um, wrong about a governmental agency regulating what is hate. Okay, so I just want to go ahead and, and say that before we even get get started, because there is something, is even if, I, that's not a just goal in any respect. The idea that you should moderate hate is the idea that you should moderate and intervene in people's thoughts and opinions and ideologies, and you don't want government agencies doing that. You don't want government agencies, or at least I don't, engaging that kind of thought control. 
it's absolutely dangerous and it's Orwellian. And that's the kind of that, that's really where we are in a situation where you have the government agencies determining, well, the money shouldn't go to cause X or cause Y because these people are hateful in our estimation. Like, well, who are you and what does it matter? Like, even if those causes were hateful, so what? Some people are hateful. That's the world. Sorry. You know, it just is what it is. You don't have the right to regulate those people out of existence. You don't have the right to starve them to death because they have opinions that are different than yours, even if they are hateful in nature. It doesn't matter. It's not the job of the government to step in and say, hey, be nicer. You know, uh, we're going to make you be nicer through forced starvation. That's not something that we want to happen. And this is one of the topics that I've, I've brought to your attention over and over again is the effect that such uh, government agencies and others have had in using uh, the monetary system to try and destroy voices that they don't want. It, it's probably the most dangerous part of all of this. Um, just got home from work. Well, welcome, Dennis, uh, to the show. Uh, Chris, hate is anything leftists disagree with. Well, yeah, but even if I even if I were to take the most extreme example that I can possibly think of of someone who just is full of hate, nothing illegal, but has the most offensive, hateful views. Like, who am I to say if I'm a government agency, you must now starve? Like, you, because of your opinions and because they're hateful, don't care how hateful. Uh, you can't make money from other people who want to give you money. Because that's what we're talking about, right? Is a voluntary transaction uh, through through GoFundMe from people who want to give money to a specific cause and the specific cause receiving it. Um, GoFundMe is acting in that capacity as a third party, um, and they're being told to step in and regulate the sort of thoughts of those who are receiving the money and say, well, are those people hateful or not? In the eyes of the Canadian government in the eyes of the House of Commons Public Safety and National Security Committee. And if they are hateful, then starve, you know? And by the way, since we're talking about GoFundMe, remember Seattle's autonomous zone? Because I do. When, you know, a bunch of leftists after George Floyd's death took over several blocks of Seattle, there were several murders in that area. They said that police couldn't enter. It was violent and disordered. And they basically had their own little insurrection Yes, that's, that's the way we're going with, because it's actually accurate. Um, and said this this area is an area that the different people can't come to. Police can't come to. We own this property. We own this area of the land. And remember that? GoFundMe allowed it. GoFundMe allowed the funding of that. But they're not allowing the funding of the, the trucker uh, protests. Okay, hold on. Uh, Jonathan Lewis says Michelle Malkin was recently banned from Airbnb. Yes, we covered that last week. You weren't here, were you? You're just giving yourself away. <laughs> anyway, uh, I did mention also last week that Give, Send, Go is a good alternative to GoFundMe. Because Give, Send, Go um, it, it's a, well, it's a Christian group that runs it and they don't engage in these kinds of um, thought regulation, they're not on the left, they don't just wait until, um, I, I guess you can say conservative-leaning movements get big enough and then they just kill it and steal all the money or refund all the money to prevent the organizers from receiving the money, which has happened in many cases, including this trucker incident, but, but others as well. Give, Send, Go, uh, however, recently had a, 
uh, injunction against them in a Canadian court, which is a big deal. Now, Give, Send, Go, the trucker uh, page, the protest page there, had apparently raised about $8.2 and then we had this this court judgment that came in. Now, the court judgment, uh, according to Give, Send, Go, isn't that significant. I'll go ahead and show you the tweet that they published today. So they said, this is specifically from Give, Send, Go, and they said, know this, Canada has absolutely zero jurisdiction over how we manage our funds here at Give, Send, Go. All funds for every campaign on Give, Send, Go flow directly to the recipients of those campaigns, not least of which is the Freedom Convoy campaign. Okay, so we're going to have to talk about this a little bit. Uh, because when it comes to this, they're right and they're also wrong. Uh, as an American company, they absolutely have autonomy over their own funds and it doesn't really matter what a Canadian uh, court says. However, the moment that they send that money to the truckers over in Canada, then the money absolutely can be frozen. And that's the trouble. It's like, as soon as they export the money, for want of a better word, there is another word for that, I just can't remember it. The moment that they transfer the money, there you go, um, into a Canadian account, and you're suddenly inside of a Canadian jurisdiction. And then if you can't get it to the Canadian truckers, then what's what's the benefit? And so that's that's my kind of main concern here. Like, yes, they're right, and that's one reason not to start up a, uh, like have a, any sort of office over in Canada is stuff like that. Like, uh, this is an area in which big tech has actually kind of learned to some degree that when you start opening different offices in different countries, you end up being subject to their different laws. And so you have companies like Google, for example, and I don't even like Google, um, but when they start offices in like, you know, I think they started one in England and in Ireland and throughout the EU and so on, then they end up getting fined um, by these countries and they have to pay because they have a presence there. Whereas if they just stayed in the US, then they wouldn't have to worry about it. They just literally just ignore the laws and say, well, we're an American company. We don't care what you say. We don't care what your judgments are. We're an American company. We obey American laws and that's it. But they, when they start, you know, hiring the people over there in, in England or in Ireland or in Canada, um, and when they start setting up offices over there, then suddenly they lose a lot of that different control. And so, uh, like, for example, I think um, Gab exclusively hires Americans and exclusively follows American law, because otherwise they'd have to start figuring out how they were going to handle hate speech, which exists, sadly, throughout many Western countries at this point in time. They don't want to handle that. so. You know, so Give Send Go has a point, but at the same time, I, I I do wonder if this thing is kind of dead in the road at this point, considering what happens as soon as the campaign uh, transfers the money into a Canadian bank account. I'm I'm kind of expecting it to to be a real problem. Um, Evola's sunglasses says, "Do you think the biggest threat to our side slash tradition comes from international finance and globalization?" and the left are just the elite's useless, useful idiots. Um, no, no. I, I do think that the international banksters and so on have tremendous power over our society, um, and, and that's, that's worrying in a lot of ways, but I think that there's an there's overlap here, just, just to, to give you a sort of a heads up, but I do think that there's a, a leftist, a, I guess you can call it, uh, 
cultural movement that seeks to undermine the Christian values upon which the West was founded and which represents the very best of the West at the best of times, what we would have once called Christendom. And there are lots of different organizations now that would be generally considered left uh, in, in the modern vernacular, um, but really are just various different anti-Christian indecent organizations that seek to, to destroy what we have. And, and frankly, that's working. And those people and those organizations have uh, gradually replaced uh, people in, in academia and throughout the media and throughout the banking sector, for sure, and all of that. So we actually have a lot to work on that I think a lot of people aren't aware of how many. Then you look inside of the, um, the military industrial complex there and the changes that are being made there to try and weed out anybody who would be willing to, say, in, the, in American terms, uphold the Constitution. Those people have been kicked out uh, in the uh, in the police, in the area of police. Um, you've had similar programs to try and change uh, the police to kind of more paramilitarize, you might say, and replace the sort of uh, peacekeepers of the past with more militaristic ones of the present that see the public as well, something other than those to be protected and served. So... Sorry if that was a long answer. <clears throat> uh, but yes, we absolutely should get rid of the central banks and um, deal with the Federal Reserve. Yeah, I, I really do believe that. I do think that it's um, that it's an in it, that our current banking setup is intrinsically meant to enslave. Um, and, and thus, for that reason, I think that we need an absolute change away from that. Um, but I was talking about the truckers, and I wanted to make another extra point. Uh, the mayor in Ottawa tried to make it illegal to bring supplies to the truckers, and so I wanted to show you something uh, that, was, that I thought was kind of, I don't know, inspirational, I guess. So you see these people who are walking, and they've all got gas cans. Sorry, petrol cans for the Brits, and maybe the Canadians, I don't know what they call it. Um, but this was just kind of like, it was just amazing to kind of see this many people who are just in solidarity um, ignoring the mayor's order to leave the truckers without um, gasoline or petrol, whichever. Uh, yeah, so it was, it, it was pretty awesome. And the tyrannical attempts to, to kind of crack down on the, on the truckers at this point are really uh, increasing. But there are lots of people out there who are finally standing up. And I say finally because it's like we're so far into the uh, COVID saga and few people have talked for a really long time, right? I mean, people haven't fought back as much as I would have liked to have seen uh, against the infringements upon their freedom. Uh, diesel fuel, actually. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Um, I, I concede. Okay, anyway. Oh, I, I did want to show you, actually, um, similar topic here. Hundreds of high school students in California, at Oakdale High School in in California, they're protesting the mask mandates that they have to, you know, wear masks um, eight hours a day, and they don't want to. Uh, and I can completely understand how they wouldn't want to. And they, they came in and they weren't wearing masks, and they sat in this gym in protest. And the staff there decided to barricade the students in the gym. I believe I have a picture of this. Yes, I do. Yay. Um, okay, there you go. Um, using tables to start kind of barricade them in. Then the staff decided to try and freeze them out by 
I've got two reports, like either they turned the AC on and really cold, or they just turned off the heat. In either case, they tried to, quote, freeze them out, and that was the, the term that the staffer who, who made the change actually used um, on these kids who were um, locked in the gym. So that's pretty criminal. Police were called for a wellness check, apparently, and police turned on the heat again. This is, I just want to go ahead and say, this is so wrong. But it also shows a kind of ownership that these teachers and staff members think they have over these kids. These kids are defying them, so let's go ahead and freeze them out. Because now, they no longer believe in this right to a peaceful protest that so many of those in academia pushed a while, you know, cities were being burned throughout 2020. And, you know, yeah, when cities were being burned, 2020 especially, um... It was, it was those in academia, and I'm sure those who are putting barricades up now and freezing these kids, that were all in favor of all of these different protests, even though they weren't peaceful. Now they're like, well, these kids don't want to wear a mask for eight hours a day. Uh, we're not going to allow that, because they're our property, and they can't, um, you know, they're not allowed to protest. And yes, it, it, it is a fire danger. There's a reason that, you know, they're supposed, those doors are supposed to be open. You're not supposed to lock kids in a, in a place. It's It's... It's evil, it's wrong, it's immoral, and it's illegal. Um, they should have been arrested and charged. I'm just going to go ahead and say because that's absolutely what should have happened. And it didn't. It didn't because we have a two-tiered society in which certain things are allowed and certain things aren't, and it's in reckless disregard for what the actual law is. And that's horrendous, and everyone should be outraged. Uh, Zimba says, if I was a parent to one of those kids, I would be in jail right now. But yeah, I can understand because the kids are being abused and, you know, I mean, like, seriously, I illegally so, um, it, I, I don't blame you at all. Uh, it is criminal. Okay, um, we're going to, I'm going to turn this off and we are going to move on because there's something else I want to show you. And it seems like we're running out of time really quickly, even though I didn't think that I had even half enough topics to cover the hour. This is always the way that it is, though. This is just like how I am. So, let's hold on. Uh, John Clark, they vaccinated them at the schools behind their back and behind their parents' backs and in many cases they, they've told them that they're required to and it's, yeah, exactly. To being school, to be in a public school now is like to be in a prison. Um, it's worse than to being in a prison actually in many ways because at least traditionally in a prison you could choose to decline certain medical procedures because it was seen that you at least owned your own body at a minimum. But nowadays, you know. Oh, and I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to show you something that the Department of Homeland Security recently put out uh, on February 7th of 2022, so just a few days ago, if you're listening to this live, and I think they're talking about us. So, let's look. I don't usually, like, show paragraphs, but I want to show you this. So it says, The United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors, including an online environment filled with false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories and other forms of mis, dis, and malinformation, which they have an acronym for now, MDM, introduced and or amplified by foreign and domestic threat actors. So we call them the MSM and they're like, we're the MDM. It's just, it's ridiculous. Anyway, okay. These threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction to sow discord and undermine public trust in government institutions, oh no, to encourage unrest, which could potentially inspire acts of violence. I'm just going to stop reading that. Okay, 
So some people give information out there on the internet, you know, the horror, that the government doesn't agree with, and thus classes as either misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. They can't decide. All of them are bad. Um, they classify them in one of those ways. And somehow it might potentially inspire acts of violence, and therefore we need the Department of Homeland Security to spend even more money browsing the internet, looking up these these people who are giving this information, which is in one way or, or five, uh, disparate from the messages that are given out by the Biden administration. And that's what's really going on. They're looking for different excuses to deal with their opposition. That's what's happening. And there's more that was on this page, but it was kind of like, you know how it is like with a legal document, and so you've got the important stuff that's kind of in between five pages of crap. So I, I picked out the, the important stuff. So the next point, which is not directly underneath it if you go to the actual page, just being full disclosure here, um, and it's going on about how the, the Department of Homeland Security has plans to, and you got this bullet point, has plans to designated domestic violent extremism as a national priority area within Department of Homeland Security's Homeland Security Grant Program for the first time, resulting in at least $77 million being spent on preventing, preparing for, protecting against, and responding to related threats nationwide. Okay, so they're spending $77 million of taxpayer money on dealing with the fact that some people on the internet say things with which the establishment, or with which the Biden regime, does not agree. Um, so yeah, this is actually, like, seriously disturbing. Uh, Chris says we must trust King George. Right, exactly. John says violation of the First Amendment. Yeah, it is. They're literally targeting people, targeting people, sorry, based upon what they say. And inferring that if people are able to say this stuff enough, then maybe there'll be a violence somewhere. Like, is, is this, like, it's this massive stretch because they know that just targeting people on the basis of their speech is illegal, is in violation of the First Amendment, is in violation of people's rights, and therefore they're like they're looking for crimes. Like, well, there's a potential crimes. Like, that's not how our system is supposed to work. You can't step in for potential crimes somewhere because somebody infers something that wasn't said. That's not how it works. We'll continue though to this, the, the next part that I've discovered. They've also increased efforts to identify and evaluate MDM, again, that's mis, dis, and malinformation, including false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories spread on social media and other online platforms that endorse violence. And it's like this, this extra endorse violence, like, yeah. Uh, conspiracy theories don't endorse violence. That's not what a conspiracy theory is. False or misleading narratives. It's like, I I'm pretty sure that, that we know who they're talking about at this point. Talking about you and me. Yes. I mean, they're not even subtle. They're talking about people who question the Biden administration. And this should be disturbing to people. And I think that people have become a little bit complacent in the area of documents like this since the Patriot Act, because we're kind of almost used to it. Um, but I'll go ahead and continue this, this last bullet point here. Um, they've also enhanced collaboration with public and private sector partners, including U.S. critical infrastructure owners and operators, to better protect our cyber and physical infrastructure and increase the nation's cybersecurity. Um, so <laughs> they're doing a lot behind the scenes to, and spending a heck of a lot of taxpayer money, 77 million if I remember correctly from five minutes ago, that they're spending that amount of money to deal with the fact that some people disagree with the Biden regime. Ultimately, that's where we are. And I think that we ought to be disturbed by the fact that the Biden regime has repeatedly come up with different excuses as to why they need to do something, anything, uh, about this 
misinformation, which now they've expanded to also include disinformation and malinformation. I'm not sure what malinformation is. I, I got the other two, you know, I understand, you know, accidental or intentional, but mal, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's just anything else that they, that they can't quite classify. Um, it's, it, I, I do think it's something that we should kind of keep an eye on it to, to the best of our ability. And I do think it's a, it's an Orwellian sign. Oh, but talking about uh, tyrannical regimes, let's talk about Australia for a minute, because the, the tyranny continues in Australia. I'm sorry to my Australian watchers. I'm not trying to make light of uh, what's happening over there, but I, I will keep drawing attention to it. So now the police, um, I've received several actually, uh, photos of what's going on in Perth, Australia, where police have actually stormed these churches um, and threatened to arrest those who are unmasked and unvaccinated. I have a, let's see, a pretty, yeah, I do have a, uh, and so you see these, these police going through these churches and literally in the middle of the service, they're going in and you might say establishing their authority. I think that might be the correct way to put it. Because really, when you see something like this, what you're looking at is people who went there, who have a, a sense of respect for something greater than the government. They went there presumably because they believe in God, who is always a higher authority than the people who decided to come in and say, no, we're the authority. Listen to us instead. Obey us instead. We control everything about you, including what you wear, i.e. masks, and also your own body, um, in, the, in the cases of vaccines, of mandatory vaccines. This is appalling, and it's evil. And what disturbs me, as always, really, about cases like this is not the, the edict in and of itself. The fact that you have some premier or governor or what have you always... Uh, just seems like that's the way it is. The people in power tend to be people who abuse power. That doesn't surprise me, and it doesn't even bother me that much. What bothers me is the fact that you have individual officers like that one there, and you have to look at that and go, that guy decided, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and enforce this. I'm going to literally walk in in the middle of a church service, in the middle of a mass, it looks like Catholic church, and I'm going to go ahead and, and, harass, and harass people. And threaten them for not wearing a mask or for not being vaccinated and for not living in fear at a time when they're in church, you know? Um, LLC says, God, God bless, long-time follower, as you know. I certainly do. I hope you have a good night. Um, JP says, back in Rome, the Caesar would have centurions storm any churches and hunt down Christians. We're apparently going right back to that. Uh, yeah, and, you know, whenever you've had totalitarian takeovers, one of the, the very first things that happens in those countries is the fact they go after the churches and they try to destroy them and they try to prevent people from worshipping freely. And they try to establish their power over those people. And we're seeing like literally all of that all at once in one picture is kind of encompassed. And that happens because the totalitarian government does not want the people to see anything more powerful than it. The totalitarian government sees itself as sort of de uh, deified, in a sense, that you cannot reject their authority because they, they see themselves as so great that they must always be followed and nobody can question that. And so the faithful become people they have to, in one way or another, undermine and destroy in, in more extreme cases. So it'll start out like this and 
continue with different, you know, arrests of Christians. And again, you know, they went in like, literally just wanted to arrest people for not wearing a mask. I mean, that's, that's, it's evil. John Cox, there's a time when none of this would have been tolerated. Yes, and it was a better time. It was a much better time. Um, I'll just go ahead and say that and, and, not, and not go any further there. Um, Oath-breaking cops are the enemy's domestic. I swore to defend the Constitution from. Yes. Uh, and, and I do think that that's... This is an area where everybody gets all, you know, uptight. But I, I think that we have an individual duty. Like each of us, quite quite literally, has an individual duty to not infringe upon the rights of our fellow man, right? Um, regardless of what the rules of a corporation or the rules of the government say, like, um, and, I, and I said this before, it's like even if if you feel forced to to wear a mask, or if you feel forced um, to, to get vaccinated, it's like one guy a long time ago was telling me about how he didn't want to pay taxes to the system because he didn't think it was it was moral and he was kind of doing the whole sovereign citizen thing and it's like even if you believe all that it's not immoral to get stolen from right similarly when it comes to you know the vaccine if you decide to take it that that's that's up to you that's your thing um but don't infringe upon somebody else's choices and somebody else's rights that's that's where you have a sort of personal responsibility before god frankly um to, to be a decent person and not to encroach on on your fellow man. That's just the way that I see it. Um, hold on. Okay. Um, I'm going to wrap up the show pretty soon, but I want to cover at least one more topic. Okay. So um, this is this is kind of become my shtick by mistake um, because nobody else will cover this kind of topic. But the theater department at Arizona State University recently hosted a cabaret show that explicitly barred white students from performing it. So they called it the Color Cabaret. And they said that it was a, quote, opportunity for BIPOC students in the School of Music, Dance and Theater to create performances that speak to their own experience, unquote. BIPOC, again, is Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. So this is this word that they use, this, this acronym that they use to mean everybody except for white people. Um, that, that's usually what, what they mean by that. And so they had this event at Arizona State University, so it's actually even, it's even a government university, right? Where they're like, no white people allowed. Now, the Civil Rights Act does, to be clear, prevent exclusions on the grounds of race. Yes, this is illegal. It would actually be illegal even if it were a private school, because you can't do that under the, the auspices of the Civil Rights Act. Again, I've said before, I'll say again, I'm not in favor of the Civil Rights Act. However, to the degree that it exists, it ought to be enforced fairly, right? And so if you had some state university, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is giving out, so I want to end the show soon. Uh, if you had some state university that was saying, hey, we're having this event, but it's just for whites only, right? It's called um, Caucasian Theater or the, the Caucasian Cabaret or Aryans United. I don't know. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, if you had any of those, you'd have collective outrage and mass. And more importantly, perhaps for this uh, you know, argument, you would actually have federal investigators who would step in and say, this is in violation of the Civil Rights Act. You can't do this. Here's a massive fine. And, you know, you do this again, we'll shut down the school. 
Um, and that's best case scenario, because they might actually just shut down the school. But in this case, you have something that's equivalent, the color cabaret, which means color as in of color, but totally not colored, because that would be racist. I didn't make the rules, I'm just, you know, reporting them. Um, so in any case, that's perfectly fine. And, and this kind of thing, it really is spreading. Uh, Harvard has just been recently downplaying the role in the whole No Whites Allowed music seminar they just did. The Department of Education, to its credit, I suppose, recently opened an investigation into the so-called American University for offering a course only for black students. This kind of thing spreads, very few people discuss it, because they're afraid that if you in some way defend white people or even acknowledge their existence, then you are oppressive and racist. I'm not sure how, but that's the modern mantra. I won't ascribe to it. I don't care. Um, I will defend um, white people's existence. Um, yeah, okay, anyway. Um, why am I opposed to civil rights laws? Because, okay, on moral terms, if I'm a private business owner, I think that the business owner ought to have the right to refuse service to anybody for any reason. I think that that is an intrinsic uh, part of freedom. Moreover, on the personal level, uh, if there's, let's just say there's this um, black-owned business and they don't want to serve white people, and yes, that happens, why would I want to go in? Why would I want that business to be forced to accept my service? Like, why? Well, why would I want to force somebody who doesn't want anything to do with me or who hates me on the grounds of my race to be forced to, you know, do patronage with me? I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, but that's what the Civil Rights Act mandates. I don't want to be required to give money to someone who hates me and have them defended, you know, from me. And I would imagine that that would be the case for black people who are going inside of a white business that happens to, you know, uh, hate black people. Like, why would they want to be forced to do business with the person who secretly hates them? I don't think there's actually a, a benefit to that. I really don't. Um, I think it would be very rare that you'd have a business that would that would put up a sign that said, you know, uh, whites only or something like that in the modern age. But I, I think it'd actually be re less rare, frankly, if you would have someone put up a sign that said blacks only. I think that would actually be fairly common in certain areas of certain towns. I could actually see that happening. And frankly, like I said, I'm fine with that. I'd, I'd, I would prefer the notification. I would. I, I don't care that there are some people who are opposed to me on the basis of my race. I, I don't. I, I would prefer not to give them my money. Um, so I don't need the Civil Rights Act to protect me. And I think there were to the degree that I've spoken to different people who weren't white about this, I've found widespread agreement, so I'm not really that worried about it. Um, and similarly, like, when it comes to the homosexual stuff, it's like, I, I do think you ought to be able to say, hey, um, you know, we're not, we're not serving people who, who, are, who are flamboyantly gay here. I do. I'm like, if you're a private business, do what you want. It's, it's basic freedom. And yeah, there, there are going to be some people who will start a campaign and say, your, show, your store should shut down because you had a sign that said, I don't know, we only serve blacks or whatever. Yeah, deal with it. That's, that's, that's the free world. Um, if, you, if you're fine with, with the uh, whatever, the, the online messages or the Facebook groups that hate you, or, I, I don't care. If you want to run your own business, then you're making the decision to exercise maximal control of your own life and your own family and go for it, you know? And I don't want to be protected from other people's opinions. I don't. I want them to be free to make whatever opinions they want and I'll make my whatever judgments I want in my own life. Um, yeah, okay. That was longer than I thought it was going to be, but there you go.
John Cox, I'm from Detroit, and I cannot tell you how many black men hate whites and yet date white women. Yeah, it's 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 actually a lot more common than I think people acknowledge, um, especially those who grew up in predominantly white areas and haven't had the sort of exposure that you get if you were to be in a dominantly uh, black area and you experience some of that sort of racism. Um, I agree with you completely. Well, thank you. I guess we're on the same page. Right, I am going to end the show in just a minute. If you have any more questions, if you have any more um, things that you want me to answer, let me know. It is 10 after our one hour show. I always call it a one hour show, but it's never one hour. Um, I know. By the way, uh, fentanyl deaths are skyrocketing on sorry, in our statistics as they're becoming available. Um, that is, a, I think, pretty obviously a direct result of some of these uh, COVID lockdowns and different procedures that have resulted in deaths of despair going up. So you had suicides going up. Especially, and these are happening amongst um, young people and young adults, most especially, which is also the case for suicides. Um, it's something that we should have been focusing on throughout this whole um, non-pandemic and people just looked away. So instead we just looked at, well, there's this, there are these deaths over here and we just completely ignored the deaths of despair that were just skyrocketing. Even as like the CDC director at one point, I think it was um, early in 2021, came out and said that amongst young people, the deaths from suicides are far outweighing those uh, from, from COVID. And that was the CDC director who said that. And I actually think I played that in an air if I remember correctly. And it's like you're not comparing deaths versus no deaths. You're comparing one set of deaths versus another. And it's just data shopping to do anything else. Um, Krista Espival, have you heard about the crack decriminalization proposal from our Democrats? Uh, no, not except for in places like, um, I think, Oregon, or at least Portland. I'm not sure if it was Portland or if it was the whole state of Oregon uh, that did that. Um, Jonathan Lewis, thanks for all your hard work. I'll not miss another live stream, I promise. Well, thank you. I do intend to sort of get away from the live streams to some degree, and I don't mean I'm going to stop doing them. I simply mean that I want to move back to, to shorter uh, shows. And at some point, I, I plan on moving and getting away from these uh, hideous drapes. So that's also in the cards, and then we'll have a real setback. So, yes, there, um, there are plans in, in fruition, always. Um, and also, if you sent me an email recently, I'm very sorry. I'm not ignoring you. I'm simply behind on emails. Unless you sent me a really creepy email, um, in which case I may be ignoring you, but that's just awkward, so we'll just pretend that wasn't you. Um, so for most people, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just behind on emails. Sorry about that. Again, busy week. So, um, all right, guys. Um, thank you so much for joining me, and I hope you all have a wonderful night, and I will see you next week, if not before. Bye-bye. If you're enjoying this podcast please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at thecrusadergal.com or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Correa, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not, don't forget to tell your friends. Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.